You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. Jesus, you laid down your life for us so that we could be reconciled to our Father and so that we could stand here now and sing praises to you. And Jesus, we praise you and thank you for doing that for us. I pray, Lord, that that would take deep and special root in our hearts again today, that there would be a fresh expression of praise that comes from our lips and from our hearts. Lord, as we go from here today, I pray for your help in opening up the word. Lord, would you give us ears that hear you, Lord, and not just hearing so it just goes in, but hearing that it turns into doing and living. I pray that you would continue your transforming work in us through the preaching of your word. Thank you that we could sing. You've given us the breath to sing these praises to you. We pray now that you would help us, Lord, as we sit under your word to hear from you and to do the things that you are calling us to do. God, thank you for your son who gave all for us. Help us now. Help me now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As you're taking your seats, you can open your Bibles through Psalm 146 if you haven't done it already. If you don't have a Bible with you, our ushers are coming up and down the aisle. And if you put your hand up, they will give a Bible to you. Just let them know you need one. If you don't own a Bible, you can keep that. We're happy to give that to to you. So Psalm 146. So throughout our life, uh, we make commitments. As we are going along, living life here on earth, we commit to do certain things. We commit to diets. We commit to using Kindle versus using books. We commit to Apple over Samsung. We make all kinds of commitments. We commit to exercise. We commit to not eat meat. I wouldn't do that. We commit to relationships. We commit to using public transit instead of taking cars. We commit to churches. We find a church where we think this is a place that I can grow, that my family and I can grow in Christ. This is a place that I can use the gifts that God has given me to help build the church and build God's kingdom and advance his mission and gospel throughout the world. And we commit there. We commit to summer reading lists. Whatever your commitments are, I'm sure you have a good reason for doing it. Because sometimes our reasons for committing to things aren't good. We commit to things that sometimes, but our reasons aren't good. I've committed to a summer reading list before. Two years ago I did this. But my reason for doing it wasn't good. The reason why I committed to this list is because I wanted to look smart. And so I committed to somebody else's reading list. And I spent that summer reading, reading some of the most boring books on earth. My reasons wasn't good, but we make commitments. And just like we make commitments, the writer of this psalm makes a commitment with his life. He commits to praising God for all time. He commits his life to praising God. But here's the thing, he has a great reason, great reasons for doing it. He does it 
because of who God is and the things that God does in the life of people who trust him. He commits because of who God is and the things that God does in the life of people who trust him. The commitment the psalmist makes is the commitment that we can make. We can choose to make that commitment today to praise God for all of our lives, for all times. Because we're going to see in this psalm that God is worthy of our praise. That God is worthy of our praise when we see from this text who he is and all that he does. And that he's not just worthy of our praise sometimes, but that he's worthy of our praise in all times. Every moment of our lives, we can choose to praise God. So Psalm 146, verse 1 says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Four times the word praised is used. The first time is the writer calling everyone to praise the Lord. He says, praise the Lord. Now that is a call to everyone in the congregation that would, where this psalm would have been sung. He's saying, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All of us should do this together. And then he tells his own soul to praise the Lord. See it there again? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. He speaks to his soul. And there's a lesson in this for us. We can learn from this. And, and the reason why we can learn from this is because there's moments in our life when praising God is not easy. That it's hard sometimes to praise God. But in those moments, in those low moments, in those moments where we're down, in those moments where we're feeling discouraged, you know what we can do? We can engage in a little bit of self-talk. We can speak to our soul. We can tell our soul all the things that God has done for us. We can remind our soul of who God is and then we can encourage our soul to praise. And we can choose to praise, reminding our soul of who God is and all that he has done. So the writer calls others to praise, then he tells his own soul to praise, and then he commits to a life of praise. Verse 1, sorry, verse 2, I'll praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have being. He plans to give his life to this. He says, while I have being, as long as I am alive, I'm going to spend my life praising God. Now, when we hear the word praise, what often comes to our minds is singing. It's like when we hear the word church, the thing that pops into most people's mind is building. But just like the church is more than a building, praise is more than just singing. It's not just singing. Singing is important. We should sing praises to our God for all times with gratitude in our heart. Even if we're not great at singing, we should sing because the Lord hears it and it's a sweet sound in his ear, even if it's a shriek to your neighbor. He hears it and delights in it. It is a sweet sound in his ear. But praise 
sorry, singing is just one aspect of praise. There's also talking. We praise God by talking about him, by telling our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, the people in our lives that we interact with in our day-to-day. We talk to them about God, telling them the amazing things that God is doing in our lives, in our church, in our world, and the amazing things that God will do in the life of anyone who trusts him, who puts all their hope in him. So we praise by singing. We praise by talking. We also praise by living. We praise God by the way we live our lives. We bring praise to him when we live lives that are worthy of the gospel, worthy of him, when we consider other people above ourselves, when we look to their interests and not just our own, following Jesus in this, treating people with dignity and respect, the people in our homes, the people in our church, the people in our city, loving them, when we steward well the resources that God has given us, our time, our gifts, our money, when we steward those things well, we bring praise to God. And we bring praise to God because it's him working in us. It's the Holy Spirit that resides in the heart of every believer, empowering them to do what God has called us to do. And praise goes to him because it's his work in our lives and in our heart. So the writer makes a commitment to praise God. And we've heard that praise isn't just singing, it's talking and it's our living. He goes on to call all people to join him in praising God. And then the rest of the psalm, he gives us three great reasons why we should choose this. Why we should commit our lives to praising God for all times. Here's the first one. He's our eternal hope. He's our eternal hope. Hope, verse 3, it says, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. So we're given a warning here by the writer. He says, put not your trust in princes. Now he's not saying don't trust in a member of the royal family. This is not a warning saying, don't put your trust in Prince George. That's not what he is saying. He is saying, he's telling us not to put our hope in people who are influential, in people who are powerful. In our context, it would be the political leader. It would be the spiritual leader. It would be that influential celebrity, people with cash, people with political capital, people who can get the world buzzing with one simple post on a social media account. We're not to put our trust in them. Even some of the people who do great things. There are people in our world who are doing good things. They start great movements, whatever it is. They're doing things, but we are not to look to those people and put our hope and our trust in them. And here's why, verse four. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. They die. We are mortal. 
And so we die. And so when that powerful, that influential person that, you, that we are tempted to put our hope in, when they pass away, all is taken with them. All of their plans perish. It all comes to an end. They cannot save. That's what it says. Put not your trust in princes in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. We cannot save ourselves. We should not put our trust in man. The writer wants us trusting in the Lord who can save, who will save. And when all our hope is in God, you know what it means? It means we are blessed. We are blessed. You're like, how do you know? Well, just look at verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. The person who hopes in God is blessed because the creator of the universe is who we have on our side, the one who makes, made all things, the one who guides all things, the one who stands outside of his creation, guiding it by his good providence. When our hope is in God, we are hoping in the one who is eternal, the one who never, who won't pass away like these princes. And the one who is completely trustworthy. Who is completely trustworthy. Look at verse 6. Who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. God is completely trustworthy. The CSB, the Christian Standard Bible says he remains faithful forever. God is faithful that's why it's right when we stand and sing together, uh, great is thy faithfulness. It's right for us to sing that because it's true that he is faithful. We can count on God. What he says he will do, he will do. We can count on it. See, God is not like the pizza man, if we still have pizza man. Maybe it's Uber Eats, who tells you that they're going to be there in 30 minutes and show up in an hour and 30 minutes. God doesn't do that. He is reliable. We can put all our hope in him. That's why Psalm 118 says it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. This is a great reminder to believers. This is a great reminder to believers to put all our hope in God because having all your hope in God will not be in vain. It will not be in vain for you to put all of your eggs in the basket of God. He has made a promise to save us and he is carrying out that promise today and he will fulfill that promise in the ultimate sense when we are standing in front of Jesus Christ face to face, and it says on that day that we will be made like him. He's going to carry out that promise. This is a reminder to believers, but it's a call to unbelievers. 
This is a reminder to believers, but it's also a call to unbelievers to put all of your hope and trust in God. If you are trusting in anything else other than God, it's going to be in vain. You are going to be found at the end of your life without a hope because you're going to stand there in front of God without Jesus Christ. And so it's a call today to put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ if we have not. We cannot save ourselves. I've read it already. I'll read it again. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. We cannot save ourselves, but God can save us. He can save us through his son, Jesus Christ. And if we put our faith in him, if you haven't done that, then today is the day to do that and find yourself with hope in the God who can save. God is our only hope, and that's why we commit, we choose in all times to praise him. We also praise him because he's our eternal help. He's our eternal help. Look at verse 7. Who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. In these verses, we are given a list of the ways that God helps the needy. And then we're told that the Lord loves the righteous. In verse 8, it says he loves the righteous. Now, anytime someone is called righteous in the psalm, it's speaking of someone who is needy. But they put their trust in God to meet their needs. They don't trust in themselves. They lean on God at all times. The people in these verses are called righteous because in the midst of their need, there was a temptation to look to princes, to look to the person who's influential, to look to the person who looks powerful, but they did not give in to that temptation. They put their faith, their trust in God. They trusted in him. They are a contrast to the people at the end of verse 9. They're being contrasted. It says the Lord watches over the sojourners. This is verse 9. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The wicked are those who, in the midst of their need, trust in themselves. They turn to themselves or they turn to someone else other than God to sort out their needs. And it says that things come to ruin for that person. Things does not end well for the person who is trusting in themselves or trusting in someone else other than God. Things go well for the person who trusts the Lord, whose hope is in their God, who looks to God for help at all times. It says the Lord loves the righteous, those who trust him. And this is actually meant to be an encouragement to us. It's meant to be an encouragement to us because just like these people are called righteous, we are called righteous. That believers in Jesus Christ are called righteous. But it's not because of our righteousness. It's because of 
Jesus Christ and his righteous life. It's not because we have lived perfect lives, but it's because he has lived the perfect and holy lives, life. See, when I hear verse 2, put not your trust in princes, right away, I know I'm in trouble. I know right away I'm in trouble, and here's why. It's because I know how much I've trusted in myself, and I'm not even a prince. I know how much I've hoped in myself. I've looked to myself. Maybe your experience is the same. You've had many moments where you could have turned to God, but you turned to something else other than God in the midst of your need. But Jesus has never done that. Jesus has never had a moment where he trusted in man. John chapter 2 says many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Jesus never gave in to the temptation to trust in Man, he entrusted himself to his father. His righteous life was an act of praise, an act of worship to his father in heaven. And because of his righteous life and his death on the cross, all people who put their faith and trust and hope in Jesus Christ are called righteous. His perfect life is credited to us. It is an imputed righteousness. And as we turn to Jesus, he gives us all the help that we need. Jesus meets all of our needs. See, all the things that God did for the people in this series of verses, Jesus does in our life. All the things that are listed here, Jesus does for us. We are oppressed. And sometimes when we say that, we, we know that we don't, we don't feel oppressed in the way some Christians around the world feel oppressed. Who are having to run for their lives. Who don't get to sit in cush seats that are hiding sometimes in caves in order to worship God. They're under oppression. And maybe there's a time coming as things start being a little uh, it gets a little bit more difficult for us here on this side that we will feel that a little bit more, that oppression. Some of us, I'm sure, feel it in different ways. But in the midst of our oppression, we don't have to take things into our own hands. We can entrust ourselves to a faithful creator, as it says, while doing good. Why? Because Jesus will execute justice. I don't have to act like the judge I leave it to him. We leave it to him who will execute justice for us. We are oppressed, but he will give us the justice we have longed for. We hunger for righteousness, and he satisfies us when we turn to him. We have been prisoners to sinful habits. But many of us can sit in this room and, and, and know that we know, know, know now freedom from those habits. That when temptation comes, we don't just turn back to that habit again. We can look at it and say, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I don't have to go there. Because of Jesus Christ, we have freedom and no freedom. We were blind 
lost in our sin, trusting in ourselves, doing our own thing. But what did Jesus do? By his grace, he spoke to our hearts and opened our eyes. So now that we can see, we can see ourselves clearly. We can see God clearly. We can see the world clearly. We can see where we're going clearly. We now know that life has meaning and what we're here for because he has opened our eyes. We at times are bowed down by grief. When those difficult things roll into our lives, we feel this grief. But what happens when we turn to Jesus Christ? He lifts us up. We are sojourners, it says. But he will give us a home. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. I go to prepare a place for you. That's a guarantee that we are going to have a home, that this sojourn that we have here on earth, that it will come to an end. Jesus promises that to us. We were without a husband, but now as his church, we are his bride. And he's a good husband. We walked away from our father. We chose sin. Instead of trusting in God, we turned our backs on God. But what happened when we placed our faith in Jesus Christ? We have been adopted into the family of God. We're no longer fatherless. We have a father who we can turn to at all times, who we can trust at all times, who we can praise at all times. Jesus, the Lord, he does All of these things are eternal help. He does all of these things for us. He meets all of our needs. And now as people who have been helped in these ways, you know what this means for us? As people who have been helped in these ways, we turn now and help others for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. We now can live righteous lives through the power of the Holy Spirit and help the needy, the oppressed, the hungry, the prisoner, the blind, the bowed down, the sojourner, the widow, and the fatherless. Just imagine what the world could look like, what the city of Mississauga could look like if we committed to living our lives this way. That we are are wanting to help the needy. That we are willing to look for the poor. That we are asking. Just imagine if we ask the Holy Spirit, open my eyes to the needy that are around me. Lead me, Spirit, to those who are needy. Who Jesus says are always with us. He says that. He says you will always have the poor with you. But just imagine if we would make that commitment. See, the temptation is to get saved and just kind of build our affluence. But we are saved to be salt and light in the world, to be a difference in the world. And one of the ways the church can be a difference is if we would commit to helping the poor and the needy who are always with us. We ask the Spirit, lead me to them. Lead me to them and then give me the heart to do something for them, to help them to minister to the poor and the needy with the compassion and love of Jesus Christ. See, the church is supposed to be about the word and deed. And sometimes we can drift into just the word. And that is important. We need to be people of the book, so to speak. 
but it should lead us to step out into our society and community and care for the poor and care for the poor who are in our church. Word and deed together. We can ask the Spirit to help us to do this, not for the praise of our name, not so that we can get glory, not so that people would praise us, but so that they would praise God, so that he would be worshipped because he is worthy of all praise at all times. Praise isn't just singing. It's also living. It's the way we live our lives. We can live in such a way that God gets all the praise all the time. And it's right for him to get all the praise. It's right for him to be praised for all times. And here's why. Because he is king. He is king. Verse 10 says, the Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. We choose to praise God because he's our eternal hope. He's our eternal help. And our last point, he's our eternal king. Our eternal king. When I read verse 10, I am blessed. I'm blessed. And the reason why I'm blessed is because it reminds me that even though we live in some very strange times, In some very confusing times, we are not without a king. That our God is on his throne. That things are not spiraling out of his control, but that he has all things under control. That he will reign for eternity. And here's what I love about the fact that God is our king. Because God is not like earthly kings. He's not like some earthly kings who use and abuse their people. God is a king who loves, shepherds, protects, guides his people for all time. He is a good king. He is not a tyrant. He is the kind of king who serves his people, who sends his son to die for those who pretend to be kings. He is a good king. And so I'm blessed when I read that. See, he is, God is being contrasted here again to the prince whose reign is short. Whose reign will not go on for all time. Here's another reason for us not to put our hope in princes. To not trust the powerful and the influential, but to trust the one with true power. God, he is king for all time. See, God is not on his throne like, you know what, I got to get a couple things off the, the agenda item, you know, because, you know, this baby's about to wrap up. He's not, he, that's not going on. He's not like a politician who has to campaign for votes, pleading with people so that they can keep their seat. God never has to do that. His tenure isn't Temporary, verse 10 makes it clear. The Lord will reign forever to all generations. The credits are never going to roll on God. 
He is king for all times. He reigns over all people, those who praise him and those who don't. And one day, all people will bow at his feet. Romans 14 says, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Everyone will bow to God. And we have the opportunity to, when that day comes, to bow to him with joy in our hearts rather than having to bow with fear. Because he is king. Remembering that God is king is healthy for us. Here's why it's healthy. It's healthy because it reminds us that our eternal king will put everything right. That this brokenness that we experience, the pain, the suffering that we go through, that it won't stay like this. That it won't always be this way. That he is going to put everything right. Revelation 21 says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne, see it, king, seated on the throne, guiding all things to his purposes and his ends. Behold, he says, I am making all things new. It will not stay the way it is now. All things will be made new. Here's my favorite part of this verse, though. Also, he said, this is good. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Trustworthy and true. What God promises to do, he will do it. That's why we praise him for all times. He will make all things new. We can trust the word of our king. He will do it. Here's another reason why it's healthy. It's healthy for us to remember that God is king because it keeps us humble. It reminds us that we're not king. That I am not king. See, it's very difficult for me to drift into places of pride when I remember that I'm a servant of the king. That I'm here for him. That it's not all about me. That it's actually all about him. And that I'm to live for his praise and his glory. It humbles me. To choose to live in humble, God-honoring ways every day when I remember he is king, not me. And that I need to turn to him for help at all times. And he will help because he loves us. Never leaves us hanging. Here's another one. It's healthy because it reminds us that we have someone who we're accountable to. Remembering that I'm not king helps me because it reminds me that I have someone who I am accountable to. Hebrews 4, verse 13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give 
account. All our life, think about this, is lived before God. There's things that I can hide from you because you don't live at my house. But I can't hide anything from God. All of our lives is lived before our king. And we are accountable to him. See, knowing that God is king helps us to depend on the Holy Spirit to live lives that please our king. But not because we're scared of our king. Because we don't have to fear God. Not because we're scared of our king do we live lives that please him, but because we want to live in such a way that he gets praise, that he gets all the glory. And so that we hear at the end of our lives, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master, your king. Joy. And that's why we live our lives in such a way that it, it praises and pleases God. Not because we're scared, but because we want to hear him say, I'm proud of you. You have pleased me in the way that you have lived your life. And so this writer, he chooses to praise the Lord for all times. Not sometimes. All times. That's why he ends where he started, verse 10. Sorry, look at verse 1. He says, praise the Lord. Then look at the end of verse 10. Praise the Lord. He started by calling us to join him in this praise. He ends by calling us to join him in this praise. He has committed his life to do this. This is the commitment. And choice that the text puts in front of us. This is the call that has been made to us to choose to do this with all, for all times, with our lives. And we've seen that we have great reasons for choosing to commit to this way. To commit to living our lives this way. In all the ups and downs of life. In our mountaintop experiences and in the moments where things are, we are very low. Some of us in the room, maybe we are having a mountaintop experience. Something great happened for you this week or this month. And some of us, maybe we're in a low spot. Things are not going so great. No matter the spots we're in, what we see here is that we have hope we have help, we have a king who is with us. And so we can praise at all times, no matter where we are. We can choose this way of living. Because when we choose this, the one we are praising is our eternal hope, our eternal help, our eternal king. This is our Lord who does so much for us in the gospel and will only continue to do more and more and more and more for all eternity. For all eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. God, for your deep love for us, that you are our hope, that you are our help, that you never leave us by ourselves. God, we have seen and been reminded of all the things that Jesus Christ has done for us. 
I, I pray, God, that even now we would just let that kind of wash over us to think of the ways in which Jesus meets all of our needs. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to not hoard this to ourselves, but to turn around and help the needy who are around us. I pray, God, that we would live a life of praise to you. Yes, singing, but also talking and living so that those who don't know you would come to know you, so that those who do know you would find encouragement again in you. God, we praise you for your goodness. We praise you that you are our king and that you are with us at all times. I pray you would help us now to sing, Lord, your praises for all times. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.